left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, and no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed the oil many who were sick and cured them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us today. Breathe on us the breath of life. Amen. In the small town of Nazareth, they had heard the buzz about Jesus. They had heard about the huge crowds that were following him and his disciples everywhere they went. They had heard about the stories of the great and powerful works that he was doing in the villages and countryside along the Sea of Galilee. They had heard stories of how he healed the sick, of how he healed a man from leprosy. They had heard a story of a man who was bound to his mat, unable to walk, and how Jesus told him to stand up, take up his mat, and walk. And the man stood up and walked. They had heard the story of how he gave sight to a man who was blind, of how he made a man who was deaf and mute see, hear, and speak. They had heard the story of a young girl who had died and how Jesus raised her back from life. They had heard stories of how he cast out demons from many people. They had heard countless stories of Jesus doing great and powerful things in other villages. And now Jesus had finally come to their village. Jesus comes to Nazareth. And he goes to the synagogue on Sabbath and begins, began to teach them. And the townsfolk come out to hear Jesus, not only because of the stories and all the buzz they'd heard about him, but because they knew him. 
In fact, they had known him since he was a little boy running around in the streets playing with his friends as children. They knew him because he grew up there. Nazareth was his hometown, and these were his hometown neighbors. So they come and listen to him. Now this um, is not the scenario where a small town boy goes out into the world and makes a name for himself and comes back home and is heralded as a hero. You've probably heard some of those stories of how um, a guy or girl goes out and becomes a professional athlete, maybe a basketball player or a soccer player or an Olympian, it comes back home and they're heralded as a hero and maybe they give a parade for them or name a street after them or give them the keys to the city. Well, that's not what's going on here. Jesus comes back home to Nazareth and the people come out to hear him and they question him. And this is what they ask. Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these powerful works that he is doing? And they're asking these questions not out of awe and amazement. They are asking these questions because they are offended by Jesus. They're thinking, who does he think he is? He's just a carpenter. This is Mary's son. You know Mary, who got pregnant before she was married? I mean, we're not even sure who Jesus' real father is. So scandalous. This is Mary's son, the carpenter. And he's coming back here telling us that he's doing God's work? I don't think so. Verse 5 then says, And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he could do no power there. As I was reading this, I began to wonder, why? Why couldn't Jesus do powerful works there? Did his power decrease because of the people's lack of faith? Does Jesus' miraculous work depend on people's faith in him? When we first read this, the story seems to suggest that. But it doesn't make much sense in light of other stories that we hear about Jesus doing miraculous things despite people's lack of faith in him. In fact, just a few stories before our sermon text for today, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and he calmed the storm even though they lacked faith. So if this story isn't saying that Jesus' miraculous work depends on our faith in him, what is it saying? I think what the story of Nazareth is saying is that the people aren't able to experience the fullness of God's work because of their resistance to it. It's not that Jesus' power has decreased, but their lack of openness to the work of God inhibits God's work from being fully realized among them. 
As Wesleyans, we believe that our response makes a difference, just like the response of the people of Nazareth made a difference. Our response makes a difference in the way God's work is manifested in our lives. We believe that God offers us unconditional grace. That means we don't have to earn it. It's not works righteousness where we earn God's love and grace by the things that we do. God offers God's grace to us unconditionally. However, we believe that God's grace always needs a response from us. We can choose to accept it or reject it. And this is seen in baptism. We believe that baptism is a sign and symbol of God's grace that goes before us and chooses us long before we ever realize it or choose God. But... Baptism always engenders a response. We can choose to respond to God's grace and live into our baptismal vows or not. And that's why we believe that confirmation is so important. It gives youth an opportunity to accept the baptismal vows that were given to them if they were baptized as infants. It gives them an opportunity to respond to their baptism, to take on those baptismal vows for themselves and to live into it. Our response makes a difference. God's not going to force us to accept God's works of grace. Jesus didn't force his miraculous work on the people of Nazareth. They had a choice to accept it or reject it, and they rejected it. Their rejection made a difference in the way in which Jesus' work was realized or not realized among them. Their response makes a difference. Our response makes a real difference in the ways in which God works in our lives and in our world. When we insist on closing our eyes and our ears to the work of God... It makes it more difficult for us to see and be open to the new things that God wants to do in and through us. Our response makes a difference. When we resist the stirrings of God's Spirit, then it becomes more difficult for God to bring about growth in our relationship with God. Our response makes a difference. When we resist an opportunity to listen to someone share their sufferings with us because we are just too busy, we have so much on our plate already, then it becomes more difficult for that person who is suffering to believe that they matter. When we cut ourselves off from God's work in the community, in the church, then it becomes more difficult for us to experience healing and wholeness in relationship because we have so isolated ourselves. Our response makes a difference. When we harden our hearts against our neighbors because of the color of their skin, the origin of their birth, the scandalous stories of their past, and the prejudices that we harbor against them, It becomes harder for God's welcoming love to shine forth. Our response makes a difference.
Now, can God work in spite of our resistance? Yes. Jesus still healed a few people in the town of Nazareth, despite their rejection of him. But they missed out on the fullness of God's miraculous work that Jesus did in other villages. They missed out. When we resist the work of God, then we miss out on the fullness of what God can do and wants to do in and through us. Our response makes a difference. I want us to spend a few moments this morning reflecting on our own lives and the ways in which we may resist God's work in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. Is there something difficult in your life that you are resisting trusting God with? Is there a regret that you can't get over? A grudge that you can't let go of? An addiction that has imprisoned you? Anger that controls you? We're going to spend a few moments in silence. And as we do, I invite you to think about the areas in your life where you are resisting God's work, where you are resisting trusting God. And if you can't think of an area in your own life, think of a situation or an area in our world where there is resistance to God's work. And offer that up to God as we take these few moments of silence. God, we offer up to you areas in our life and in our world where we have resisted or rejected your liberating work. Help us to be open to what you would want to do in and through us. Amen. It matters how we respond to God and God's work. When we are open to God, then we become a vital part in furthering God's kingdom of love and justice in this world. Just as the disciples were sent out in mission two by two to cast out demons and heal those who were sick, in so doing, they were furthering God's kingdom of love and justice here in this world. 
And we are called to do the same. Our response makes a difference. Thanks be to God. As we continue in worship this morning, I invite our ushers to gather in the back as we prepare to offer our tithes and offerings to God.